Hi there, and welcome to the Jeff MacArthur Podcast for Tuesday, October the 13th. Coming up, we'll talk about a cycling super spreader event that happened in Hamilton. If you might qualify for a tax break because you've worked from home this year, and Disney about to undergo a historic pivot. All of that coming up right now on the Jeff MacArthur Podcast. Well, public health officials in Hamilton say nearly 50 COVID cases can now be linked to an outbreak at a spin class there. Officials say of the 47 cases linked to Spinco on James Street in Hamilton, 38 are considered primary or were directly contracted at the facility. Joining us now is our good pal, Dr. Joe Vipon. He, of course, is with Masks for Canada and a physician at Rocky View General in Calgary. Dr. Vipon joins us here on Global News Radio. Doctor, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Good to talk with you again. Okay, nearly 50 COVID cases linked to the spin class. Is this what you would classify as a so-called super spreader event? Yeah, and this isn't the first. We actually had a super spreader spin class event here in July in Calgary. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're not learning very well, are we? It appears not. Uh, is it clear, though, how the virus is spread? Is it just uh, simply that somebody comes in who is shedding a virus? And, of course, with a spin class, a doctor, there's a lot of heavy breathing and moisture droplets in the air. Yeah, so this goes back to this whole airborne versus droplet um, debate that has been raging through the scientific community ever since the COVID was announced. So the problem is, is that a lot of scientific organizations have been reticent to call this uh, an airborne virus, which means that it distributes itself throughout the air around the person rather than just falling to the ground uh, a short distance away. Um, interestingly enough, the WHO and the CDC have, have come out recently acknowledging that it's airborne spread is an issue and this should completely change the way we approach this virus so now that we have um, consensus on this we really need to change the way we're uh, approaching um, protective measures well the gym says the protocols were in place including screening but uh, is this proof do you think dr vipon that there really is no foolproof system no, I think there are foolproof systems. I think there are ways of putting this forward. And in defense of the spin class, uh, the spin uh, company, I'm sure they were following protocols. But I think that just speaks to the fact that our protocols need to be better. Uh, and maybe one of those protocols is that we shouldn't be doing live in-person spin classes or other exercise uh, uh, events where people are within the same room, um, heavily breathing. And that includes choir practices and, of course, other other events where, where people are pushing a lot of airborne virus into the air around them. Now, we understand the participants were masked before and after the class, but should they have been masked, do you think, during? I mean, if you are going to have a spin class with multiple people there and an instructor, and I understand that it might be a little uncomfortable or a little tough to maybe cycle at your maximum because you've got a face mask on, but would that have been better than uh, what we now see has uh, transpired? Well, interesting enough, I was in Nepal about three years ago, and Nepal has some of the worst air pollution in the world. Uh, and so while I was there, I, I, my main way of getting around was bicycling, and I did not want to be inhaling all the the bad uh, PM 2.5, the particulate matter, into my lungs. So I got myself an N95 mask, and I wore it while I was cycling around the uh, the city uh, to protect myself from that. And and it wasn't fun, um, but it, but it was doable, um, and I survived. And uh, yeah, so maybe we do need to rethink this. Maybe we do need to develop some um, masks that are both efficacious from a from a coronavirus perspective, and also uh, um, 
uh, allow us to, to do these kind of exercise activities indoors. Yeah, now this province, Ontario, has placed restrictions on gyms and health facilities in high-risk areas here in Toronto, Peel Region, and Ottawa. Do you think, Doctor, it's a time to consider those restrictions everywhere in this province and maybe across the country, as we've seen, sadly, some COVID uh, cases, uh, some spikes in uh, cases in the last few weeks? I think we really need to, to look at when those, uh, the prevalence uh, of, the, of the disease is high. Those are the times where you're more likely to be spreading it in these events. So if there is a, a region, say like the Atlantic bubble, that has successfully tamped down the virus, yeah, go, go at her. Um, but in those areas where prevalence is climbing and uh, there's just such a high likelihood of having one of those asymptomatic spreaders in one of these events and uh, facilities. And, and so therefore we need to adjust our, our policies accordingly. And that goes for, you know, in, in uh, building restaurants and, and other areas where it's just very, very difficult to wear masks. Can't, can't wear a mask when you're stuffing your gob with food, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when we look at the hot spots, and Ontario, of course, has been a, a province that has seen a flare-up, Quebec as well, although their cases have been on the decline uh, for several days now. Uh, in your opinion, in those hot spots, are gyms, fitness classes, spin classes, are they a little too risky in those areas? Yeah, yeah, it just goes back to what I was saying, you know, that the, the, you're really trying to, as soon as you get one asymptomatic person in one of these facilities and there's no mask being worn, the, the risks are so high of transmitting, especially in these heavy breathing um, type of uh, uh, events like a like a gym. Joined on the line by Dr. Indoors, not so good. All right. Joined on the line by Dr. Joe Vipon. He's with Masks for Canada and also a physician at Rocky View General in Calgary. I'd be remiss if I did not ask you, uh, doctor, about the breaking news. This has just come into us in the last uh, half hour out of Alberta, where apparently the government there is set to cut thousands of health care jobs to save $600 million a year. Upwards of, uh, we're hearing, 11,000 individuals will be affected by the uh, layoffs. Again, they're hoping this will result in savings of $600 million a year once it's implemented. Your take on that. So uh, just even more recently, they've announced that 9,700 of those jobs are going to be um, off-sourced, outsourced to, uh, to private companies. So basically, they're taking these union jobs with good safety standards and putting it forward to, to, to private companies where they don't have the, uh, the union um, backup on that. So that's a concern. Um, so $600 million saved. you got to remember that this is a, a government that also put in a corporate tax cut that cost the, the revenue side of our government $4.7 billion with a B dollars, and also just recently did a $1.7 billion with a B investment into the Keystone XL pipeline, as well as a $6 billion with a B um, uh, loan uh, uh, guarantee on that pipeline as well. So there is a lot of money that uh, is... is is being spun around here. Um, is this the best way of saving money during a pandemic? Is uh, austerity? You know, people are already hurting in this province. This is not going to make things better. It's going to make things worse. Well, I think that is the big question. Uh, obviously, whether this is the right place to find a savings in the midst of a pandemic is uh, to cut some uh, health care costs. But the premier there, Jason Kenney, says that uh, there will be no job losses for nurses or frontline clinical staff during the pandemic. Should that be of comfort to, to those in Alberta? 
I don't know, our porters, our cleaning staff are essential in a pandemic. I wouldn't say that they're any less important than our nurses and frontline staff. And I'll just remember, I'm sure all of Ontarians know and Toronto's know specifically that we love to tout the fact that we don't have a PST. Um, We're the only province in the country without a PST and we are not willing to look at that and yet we're willing to look at these kind of cuts. So um, a PST, if if we taxed ourselves the same as the next lowest taxed regime province in the country that would be an additional nine billion dollars uh, in our in our um, coffers and we're just ideologically not willing to go that path that saddens me dr vipon really appreciate the time with us this afternoon thanks so much and then we'll talk again soon always a pleasure dr joe vipon is with mass for canada and a physician at rocky view general in calgary Okay, as the work-from-home trend uh, continues, so does talk, and it's kind of reignited once again about tax season, 2020 taxes, and whether or not you are actually going to be able to write off your workspace, write off uh, your time working uh, at home. Let's uh, welcome in uh, Janet Gray, Certified Financial Planner with Money Coaches Canada. Janet joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Janet, unlike uh, Paul and the Nobel Prize, we are awfully glad you answered your phone this afternoon. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I'm happy to be here. Unfortunately, I can't tell you you've won the Nobel Prize, but... <laughs> oh, maybe next time. Yes. <laughs> There's always next year, as Leaf fans right. would say. Okay, when you consider remote work, uh, the CERB, uh, rent relief, uh, how crazy, first off, is a tax year of 2020? How crazy is it going to be? Wow, I think accountants are going to really earn their money next year because there's so many changes. Employers have to do some of it, and, you know, employees will have to submit as well, and the accountants will have to figure it all out before submitting it to CRA, who I imagine is also kind of figuring out as they go. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, So what is the tax relief for those with a home office? What, What does it currently look like, Janet? Well, and you know, those rules haven't really changed. They haven't really been adapted for COVID, which is maybe where some of the confusion is coming from. If you if you were a commission salesperson or if your employer required you to work from home, there were certain deductions that you could claim, such as utilities, well, a portion of your utilities, portion of your uh, of your rent, maybe portion of your car use, those kind of things. Um, so that was always in place. And there's a form that you would fill out called the the, it's a CRA form called the T2200, the T2200. Um, your employer would sign that and say, yes, it's a condition of their employment that they work from their home. Um, and then you have to meet the definitions. Well, what is your home office? Is it where you work at least 50% of the time? Or are you there and maybe you meet clients there too? So there's some specific definitions. But, of course, that was pre-COVID definitions. So where the confusion is now is that they haven't changed the definitions, or maybe they're in the course of changing them, but they haven't, you know, released them. So there's a lot of confusion about, well, let me see, I've only worked from home since March, and it's only been this long, and I'm, you know, like, there's just, yeah, a lot of a lot of fog. Yeah, I mean, this is really interesting. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that think, okay, I've been forced to work from home, this is now a home office, I should be able to write off, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, but uh, as you've just laid out there, to do that, your employer has to sign off on this T2200, and that still exists for the 22 uh, tax season. Those rules haven't been changed because of the pandemic? That's right. Not yet. Not yet. I mean, think think of it if you're a large employer, like, you know, some of the some of the private institutions, the corporations that might have thousands of people working from home right now, that they would have to sign, you know, thousands of the T2200 forms. 
So the employers are also waiting for some signal from CRA. Well, are you going to just give us a blanket coverage? Like, do we have to actually issue or sign 2200 forms? Or are you going to make it easier for us and just say, okay, all you people in this sector or all you people at this employer, we'll just assume that you're all getting the T2200 exemption. So is there a lot of long nights going on at the CRA right now trying to decide what to do here? Because, I mean, let's let's be honest, if they give everybody a break that's working at home right now, I mean, that's lost revenue, right, for the Canadian Revenue Agency. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I imagine, yes, you're right, the long nights for sure. But, yeah, I don't know how lenient they will be on the, on the definitions. They may just say, okay, no, we're going to stick to these definitions because – because they may have to, you know, reinvent other other mechanisms to deal with the exemptions. So, you know, they may try and stick as close to it as they can, but then it's still in the interpretation. So who's doing the interpreting? Is it the employer? Is it the accountant? Or is it CRA? So there's lots of room for error where people might say, well, I think I am, but I'm just going to put it in anyway and then have to wait for several months to find out that, no, you're not. Or, you know, maybe there's a penalty because you claim too much or, so there's going to be a lot of, I, ho- I hope, a lot of give and take on the positive side that people aren't going to be penalized for, you know, doing their best estimate, best guess. Yeah. Do you think that this has got the uh, potential of being decided in a court of law, perhaps? Because I could see, you know, certain uh, workers saying to the, uh, their employer, listen, uh, I meet X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C when it comes to the T2200. Why aren't you giving me one? Why aren't you signing off on this and maybe taking the CRA or the government of Canada to court over these tax breaks or or deductions? Yeah, you know, it may come to that. I mean, it hasn't gotten to that point yet. There hasn't been enough uh, discussion, I suppose, about it. But, you know, come, you know, February, March, April, for sure, there'll be a lot of people that will either be uh, disappointed or angry um, and there's also, you know, there's a, a relief court through CRA. So if you don't agree with their 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 uh, opinion, you can go through their own relief court. So I, I guess that might be one of the items. And and you could, yeah, just try again. Sometimes you may get a different person reviewing your your uh, return. And if you explain the situation to them, like you know, over the phone or something, then maybe you would get some some more understanding of, oh, that's what you meant. Okay, you should have put that on this line instead of that line. So there's going to be some real mechanical uh, changes that can be made where, you know, use this form, not that form, put it on line 15, not line 16. So I hope that CRA is flexible enough to be somewhat accommodating, you know, while we're all trying to work through this rather than just applying it to the letter of their policy. What's at stake here for employees that are uh, searching for a tax break that have been forced to uh, work remotely or work from home? If, let's say, your home office is 10% of the square footage of your home, can you write off, I mean, 10% of the property tax? Can you write off 10% of your mortgage? Um, Yeah, there's different definitions, whether you're an employee, whether you're self-employed, or whether you're a commissioned salesperson. So that's where, you know, if you are an employee, then no, you can't claim part of your mortgage or your mortgage tax. You can claim part of your utilities, your condo fees, for example, maybe a portion of your rent. Um, But I mean, again, what you mentioned, say it was 10% of your home. So my hydro bill is $100. I'm going to claim $10. Over the nine months I've been working from home, that's $90. Depending on what my income is, it may not make a lot of difference. So when people say, well, I'm going to have to uh, figure it out myself, which is going to take my time and I don't like doing it, or I'm going to pay someone to do it for me, which could cost potentially more than what I would be saving. 
Okay. How about office supplies? Could you write that off? Um, often, yes, you can. You can, but often you would maybe just expense them back to your employer, depending on the deal that you have with them. It really is because those are 100% deductible, but your employer may already be giving you some type of expense allowance for your working at home expenses. They know you're using printer cartridges and, and, and uh, you know, printer paper, those kind of things. Yeah. How about coffee? Because everything comes yeah. back to coffee for me. I mean, if I go into work usually up until March and coffee was provided and that was a perk, and now all of a sudden I've got to buy and brew coffee during working hours at home, could I possibly write that off? Well, you know, wouldn't that be nice? Um, <laughs> your, your, your employer might, might allow it, but I don't know that currently CRA would. <laughs> <laughs> all right, just Thanks looking for every angle. Absolutely. I know. God bless. <laughs> Finally, do you expect, uh, Janet, that the tax code to eventually be amended or the rules uh, changed? Because, you know, the jury is still out as to whether or not remote work is uh, here to stay, but you would have to think it's uh, here to stay at least in some shape, way, or, or form uh, into the future. Yeah, I, I would think that, but I imagine the, um, you know, the ship doesn't turn very, very short at uh, CRA. It's going to be a long haul while they review it because it's not just that they're changing their regulations. The federal tax code may need to be changed. So it's kind of a little bit of a snowball effect. And, uh, yeah, I don't know that anybody's holding their breath. I hope they're starting to work on it now because we know that this may be, you know, we've had a preview of what, you know, this is going to look like going forward. I can only hope, fingers crossed, that they're starting to work on it to make it easier for us. But I would think in the next year or two, it's going to be pretty messy. All right, Janet Gray, Certified Financial Planner with Money Coaches Canada. Janet, appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, many businesses have been forced to pivot. That seems to be the big buzzword now, right? Pivot to remain viable during the pandemic. And generally, small businesses seem to be more adaptable, but more and more big business. They're the ones now being forced to pivot. And one of the biggest, Disney announcing a new business strategy and joining us now for more on this is mike leon brand expert and president of brand heroes marketing he joins us now on global news radio 640 toronto mike good afternoon good afternoon jeff it's kind of smiling through that intro because every time i hear the word pivot i think of friends when they were moving (laughs) remember that they kept pivot pivot pivot. (laughs) but uh, what is the challenge that is facing disney right now well, you know what, Jeff? Nobody's going anywhere. So all their parks, all their live experiences are just not happening. And, you know, if you even get away from the amusement park side of the business right now, people aren't going to movie theaters. And, you know, this is pretty hot off the presses with, uh, you know, movie theaters in the, uh, the GTA, but that's not happening either. So when you're a business that makes a lot of money off of both of those things, well, the word pivot comes back into play. All right. Well, yes, they're calling this a historic pivot by Disney. How exactly are they going to change? Well, you know what? They're they're embracing what I think, to be honest with you, is 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 fairly routine right now with a lot of businesses. So I wouldn't necessarily call this historic, but I think what they're really saying is, listen, the future of direct-to-consumer right now is digital. So they want to really double down on Disney+. Plus. They want to really double down on a lot of direct-to-consumer mediums, um, a lot of complementary kind of digital like gaming and, you know, just really investing heavily in that. So that's what they're going to do. And Disney Plus is a huge part of that strategy. Yeah, Is Disney Plus going to become the new theme park, the new movie theater? Is it going to be kind of all-encompassing for Disney, do you think? Well, you know what? I think that's a very here and now 
um, approach. And I think it has to happen because people just aren't going to the theaters and they're not going to the parks. So I think in the short term, the, the, the answer to that will be absolutely. I think what will be interesting and where I get excited from a brand standpoint is looking at, you know, how do they tell this story in a longer term perspective? Like whether people are tuning into Disney Plus or whatever they're doing with, with Disney digitally, what does that say about the experience that Disney's offering? And let's build the brand around that. I mean, to me, the, the beauty of something like Disney Plus is it just allows for the experience to be much richer. You know, I don't have to go and wait in line to watch Mulan. I could do that at home. I don't have to go watch Hamilton in a Broadway theater, even if it was open. I could do that at home. So in a way, there's, a, there's a, almost a democratization of content that would have been just out of reach for some folks. That uh, now they can get it. And they can get it at you know ten bucks a month. So I think that's a very powerful thing to look at from a brand standpoint that Disney is is going to be embarking on. Yeah, take us into the boardroom if you could for a second, Mike. What do you think the discussions are? What are the what's happening right now at Disney? Because I think what we're talking about is how they deliver on their brand and who they are. And I think the good news for Disney, when you look at their brand, it's probably more viable than ever right now. Because Disney, to me, when I think about them as a company and a brand, is somebody who takes me to fantasy places, takes me to places that put a smile on my face and make me feel good. And man, do we need that more than ever right now? Oh, totally. Well, you know what, Jeff, if I was in the boardroom right now, my, my sense would be that some of the biggest questions that's being asked is what can we control? Because there's so much that's being taken away from us right now as people and also as business owners. And we just don't know, you know, we don't know where COVID's going to be at. We suspect we know, but we really don't. So, you know, from a business standpoint, if you want to chart the next 12 months or 16 or 18 months, what can you count on being uh, the case for them? And I think the streaming is a pretty good bet because, you know, even if people are, you know, are going out, even if they go back to theaters, they're still going to stream. And the way that they've thought about a streaming experience has really changed and really broadened since COVID came into place. So I think the opportunity to make that experience richer and, and deeper for people is, is so much better than it was before. So I think, you know, from a boardroom standpoint, if we're asking the question of, you know, what's, what's, our, what's our Teflon business that we're not going to lose, even if there's another pandemic, the streaming and the digital and the direct-to-home stuff, that, that I think is a sure bet. Okay, is it enough, though? And when I ask that, I mean revenue-wise. Because, I mean, Disney, well, they've got a brand that I think is very viable today and into the future, a brand that takes you again to other worlds or puts a smile on your face. What might not be putting a smile on those in the boardroom at Disney right now, a smile on their face, is the fact that I'm sure attendance is down at their theme parks. People are wary going uh, there. Uh, Disney Cruise Lines, I'm sure that's down. As you mentioned, movie theaters, people aren't going anymore. I mean, that's got to be a big problem for them. For sure. You know what? I don't think it's enough revenue-wise in the long term. But if we look at the theme that that sits behind um, the um, uh, sits behind the streaming service, it to me, it's like the all-access pass, Jeff. That you know, you're giving people through Disney Plus an all-access pass to the things they love. So as long as that theme continues, and it can be defined different ways. So as, you know, as hopefully the pandemic comes under wraps and it becomes better for people, the, the idea of an all-access pass could broaden out to include the, the theme parks again or include movie experiences or include other things. But for now, this is what it means. So I think from a brand standpoint, they have to really get behind unpacking the meaning 
behind Disney Plus. The Disney Plus doesn't become the brand, but it's about the experience that it's allowing you to do. You bring up fantasy. Disney's always been about reliving those childhood magical moments. So if this is the way to do it, it's going to give people more of that intimacy with the brand they already love. If they if they keep unpacking that, they're going to be fine. Revenues will be hit in the short term, but in the long term, they can keep embracing what it means to give people that kind of all-access pass to the brands they love. Well, interesting times for businesses, small and in this case, big, very big. Uh, Disney uh, announcing a bit of a pivot uh, the other day when it comes to their uh, businesses. We've been talking about really focusing on their streaming service in Disney+. Plus. Mike, appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much. Have a great rest Thank of the day. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. You too. Brand expert, president of Brand Heroes Marketing, Mike Leon with us. And just a reminder that you can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 Eastern. Just tune in at 640toronto.com. Also, find us on Spotify, search my name, Jeff MacArthur, or download us wherever you find your favorite podcasts.